Hey, Will I Like It listeners, do you like a good cup of coffee, one that's rich, flavorful, and ethically sourced? Then you need to check out Dynasty of Coffee, a Yorkshire-based online coffee business that offers a range of expertly crafted blends. All of their coffee is roasted to order to ensure freshness, and they're committed to nurturing the well-being of both individuals and the planet. Whether you're a fan of a bold, strong coffee or a smooth and mellow one, Dynasty of Coffee has a blend for you. Their four main blends are inspired by different British dynasties, Saxon, Viking, Tudor, and a decaf Hanoverian. So if you're looking for a delicious and ethically sourced cup of coffee, head to dynastyofcoffee.co.uk today and use the code SAXON10, that's SAXON, all capital letters, 10, at checkout for 10% off your first order. Enjoy! So welcome back to Will I Like It? I'm with my guest today, Ian Thackeray. Hello. Who is a blacksmith. Yes. Um, so how did you get started in, in the blacksmith trade? Uh, the quick answer is I was unemployed and needed a job. That's uh, a good answer. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it, it, it literally was that. It was 2008, the last big recession. Yeah. I'd been made uh, unemployed from my office job and was just flicking through the local paper and there was, amongst everything, there was just an advert saying, extra hand needed in a busy forge, call Jim on this phone number. Yeah. Gave him a call, lied through my interview, said that I knew exactly what to do with metalwork, and got the job. And it just went from there, really. Okay. So. With an interesting approach. <laughs> so what to, from that, so that was more modern blacksmithing, I'm guessing? Oh, that, yeah, so welding fabrication. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, it evolved into doing historical and archaeological ironwork because history has always been a huge passion of mine uh, right from an early age you know I, I grew up with time team and yeah. meet the ancestors programs like that and as I as I started working as a blacksmith I also in the evenings was looking online it was uh, around the time where YouTube and program uh, apps like that were beginning to, to come out and I was just astounded by what was possible with metalwork and what had been made as well and pretty much from the word go i never was never really interested in the knives the swords the axes and stuff yeah but it was more how household items had developed had progressed had um had been modified over the centuries to, to what we have today when actually, you know, things like frying pans, saucepans, grills, um, kettles, all of these sorts of things have been around for, for millennia. Yeah. And uh, just, just, you know, I found that actually I quite enjoyed making these things that had been used on a, on a daily basis. So was there much difference once you sort of moved into the historical stuff? Are there, mm. is the construction and blacksmithing the same, like, has it ever changed over time or...? Yes and no. The tools have changed. Mm. But other than that, you are still taking metal, you're getting it hot and you're hitting it. Uh, the, the the huge difference is the fact that, you know, to make that, to make one of those knives, for instance, you would have had to um, get the iron ore, um, get the charcoal, smelted it, refined the, it into a usable billet, and then forged into the object you want. Whereas now, 
I can phone up my local steel yard in Shaftesbury and you know, the next day, the day after, okay. it's it's on my doorstep, ready to yeah. go. Okay. Um, but yeah, we still use hammers, we still use fire, whether it's um, charcoal, coal, coke, um, gas, um, other than that, yeah, it's all, it's all pretty much still still the same sort of tradition and craft as it was, you know, back, you know, 2000 years yeah. ago. Okay. So you've done some interesting projects. Yeah. I have been checking out your Instagram, <laughs> I must admit. Um, so I know recently you did the project at uh, Chalk Valley. Yes. Where, oh. well, I'll let you explain <laughs> it because you know what you did. So the, the Chalk Valley project for 2022 was the culmination for me of 10 years worth of research. And it was recreating the earliest known iron artifacts, which were beads forged from meteorites. And so I found a meteorite called Gebel Kamil, which I didn't literally find it, but um, I was able to get a piece of meteorite yeah. called Gebel Kamil, which landed in Egypt around 5,000 years ago. And with, with my friend Will Sherman, uh, he and I forged these, this meteorite, this lump of rock, space rock, into these beads using ancient Egyptian, so 5,000 year old Egyptian technologies as well. Because you know, we could do it with a hammer and an anvil in about 20 minutes, but standing yeah. there with blowpipes and with stone hammers, stone anvils, kneeling down on the ground all day long with COVID as well, well, post-COVID. Yeah, then, sure. Um, it, it just made it more, far more of a challenge. It was a lot more rewarding when we were able to, yeah. to complete it. Yeah. So that's, that's obviously like a lifelong dream that you got to yes. do that project. Are there any others that you can think of? Like, I think what I enjoy doing with the, with the archaeological work is recreating items that people just don't believe existed. Uh, so, for instance, uh, Dorchester Museum have got a ship's anchor as we would see it, as we would recognise it today, but it was made in the Iron Age. Right. And it's a lot bigger than what people assume Iron Age blacksmiths were capable of. I mean, it's one of these ones. I, mean, I know you've had Tom on this show as well. Yeah. He and I have always said, and actually all blacksmiths, have, we've always agreed that the trouble is the further back in history you go, the more people think, oh, they were just little simpletons, didn't really know what they were doing. And so creating these objects that make people look at it and go, oh, 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 and just amaze them that this was made without the modern tools and equipment that we know and love today. Yeah. Um, so I think and I've, I've got a laundry list of stuff I need to do, um, you know, from this ship's anchor through to some of the cookware that was carried around by Henry VIII's army, where they would just roast entire oxen in one on this giant spit things like that yeah i'd love to get around to me i had a question i was going to ask you later but it kind of ties in so <laughs> we'll do it now is if you had an unlimited budget what is your dream project um we'll come back to that at the end. we can come back to it at the end yeah i just thought it kind of tied in yeah. with what you were saying there so i thought it might be a good time to ask i think if i'm honest with you limiting the budget is actually half the fun yeah. Because I mean, with an unlimited budget, the moon's the moon's well, the sky's the limit, the moon's yeah. the limit. Um, 
but it's restricting the budget and saying I can make this for this amount of money. That's half of the challenge, and I mean it's 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 like with yourself. You know, if I was to give you an unlimited budget, how far would you go? And whereas saying I've got a thousand pounds or I've got a hundred quid sets your limit but you will, will want to do the best you can yeah for that budget and so i think having a budget is is you know a good standpoint uh, yeah i can see that i mean there's a similar aspect for me with food is part mm. of the reason why i like doing the historical food is you're limited on your ingredients and you cook yeah. wearing things and so you're working within limitations yeah um to be honest even sometimes that's the fun of making vegan food mm. you need to make stuff that tastes good but with a limited <laughs> yeah. ingredients whereas if you've got all the ingredients in the world yes you can make something that tastes good yeah. but can you do it on yeah. a limited but then when you're cooking for people how many times do you give someone a, a, a dish to try and when you tell them that this is what the vikings or the saxons or the medieval or the roman people ate how often do they just look at you like you're mad I mean, most of the time, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> I mean, it's difficult as well with the Saxon period. You know, they weren't writing recipes that early. Mm. I mean, the idea of a cookbook to a Saxon or a Viking wouldn't make sense because it involves going out, getting certain ingredients to make that recipe. Yeah. Whereas they're going to use what they've got, yeah. chuck it all in a pot and yeah. cook it. Yeah. Most of the yeah. time. Yeah. You know, you're only going to, unless you're having a feast, maybe you might have gone out of your way to get certain ingredients to show off. Yeah. But, um, yeah. <laughs> So, so we're on to talking about food, so I yeah. think we should. So what I've done is I've cooked you up three options for maybe what they might have cooked on the Mustermire grill, which is the thing I really got you here to talk about, yes. as you know. Yes. So Ian actually made the grill for me. Um, when was it? Early this year? Was it last year? I'm going to say early this year. I think it might have been. Yeah. Um, and you kindly dropped it off here for me, yes. the ATC. Yeah. Um, and I've been playing with it all year. Lots of cooking, doing courses on it. I've cooked various things. People say you can't cook sausages on it. You can. You just need a Cumberland sausage. Yep. Um, so today my options are a salt dough wrapped leg of lamb, which has been stuffed with rosemary and garlic. So it's a little bit lavish. Maybe they wouldn't have wasted the salt and the flour and they could have used clay instead. Um, but the salt really does add to the mm. flavour of the meat. We've got um, a wild venison and garlic sausage funnily enough actually the venison came from a place just up the road creech hill oh yeah they supplied the deer for a course i did in wales back in beginning of october yeah fantastic. Um, so it's local venison yeah uh, and then we've got some leeks that have just been charred in the embers um and i've put some of my favorite cheese on top Brilliant. so i will leave some out was, yeah it sounds absolutely fantastic A bit of leek. Yeah. I should say, I would normally put hazelnuts on there as well. Mm. I've misplaced my hazelnuts. Oh, no, that's, that's actually brilliant. I, I can imagine the hazelnuts for you. There you go. Is it right just to tuck in? Yeah, yeah, tuck yeah. in. And um, I thought as we're going, we can um, discuss a bit about the Mastermire find, which mm. I gather you know quite a bit about. Because... Um, mm. A 1936 find? I think so. 1936, I think it was um, written up in 1938. It was somewhere around that time. So pre-Second pre World War. And it was found purely by accident by a farmer 
tilling his field and he hooked his plough or the, there was a huge chain that was wrapped around his chest which hooked onto his plough yeah. and so he was dragging this thing along and thankfully he called the right people who came along opened the chest and they found it was around 120, 125 pieces of metalwork from you know, ranging from um, grills like the one that you've got, uh, carpentry tools, blacksmithing equipment, household cooking implements, items that are clearly being repaired. There was a traveling blacksmith's kit as well. And so um, we assume he was a, an itinerant metal worker because also the field where the where it was found had been a marshy bogland and so most likely he was in a boat that had capsized and the chest went straight down and no bodies have been found and so we presume he survived so It'd be a terrible loss of all that that equipment yes I, yeah. i'd hate to think how long it took him to 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 make all of that yeah. to begin with um but as I said, it was one of these fantastic things that gave us such a, a valuable insight into the daily life because normally we find heavily corroded artifacts in, in graves or occasionally slightly better, it's very iron finds. Mm. But because of the preservative nature of the bog, these things were abs almost... Completely and utterly intact. I'm going to have to remember to eat. Yeah, tuck in. <laughs> phenomenal. Do I know a lot? A lot of the time, the grill itself is listed as being maybe lighting for a blacksmith, where they might have put tarred logs mm. on it to light a room. Um, and I think we're both of the same opinion that potentially it's a cooking grill. It was found with pots and things as mm. well, wasn't it? So it's my my thought is that it's very portable because. It's got a a chain hanging mechanism which collapses in, so it's it's it is literally flat pack. If I had something containing tarred logs or um, heavy or high paint uh, high resin um, branches, mm -hmm. I would want something a lot more a lot sturdier that wouldn't spin and sway around if you accidentally bumped into it. Yeah. Because it does a lot when you're cooking. I can imagine. Absolutely. And because it's got the... The original one had the gaps between the bars. Mm. Anything, any of the embers are just going to land on the floor. So if you're in your workshop at night and you bump into it, you're just going to start swinging embers all over the place. Um, very impractical. Very impractical. Yeah. But something that actually... You know, I'll probably end up making one for myself and giving it a try to see if it works and how much light it can actually illuminate. Yeah. But then, and this is the key part of historical metalwork, well, historical crafts, crafts work, and also experimental archaeology. It's just giving these things a try. So. Hmm. Yeah, I think until you try stuff. Oh, wow. There's, um, yeah, there's that element. That you... sausage is good. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Have a go. Yeah. People can just listen to us eat. Mmm. <laughs> mmm. 
because I've never had salt salt dough cooked lamb before. That is absolutely phenomenal. One of the most popular things I've ever made mm. at events and things. People always ask me to make it if I'm going to cook for the group. Mm. It's always the salt dough lamb. Sometimes I will use like a haunch of venison. Mm. Um, I mean, you could use any meat, but yeah. it needs to be the sort of stuff you can eat pink because there's no way to check if it's fully cooked until you've opened it. Yeah, that's been on now for three hours, maybe three and a half hours mm. today, and it's still pink in the middle. But if you did that with a bit of chicken or pork, <laughs> could be a bit questionable. Yeah. A bit of beef. I've seen people do it with fish. Yeah. That sort of stuff isn't yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah, no, I can believe that. Believe it with fish. But lamb is a favourite. Mm. It's got a nice bit of fat to it as well. Mm. Yeah, so the, the grill does mm. seem to be fairly common, I think, because the idea of it being a light is based on other examples from around Europe. Mm. I think even in Russia places like that they've they've had similar ones that yeah. i don't know a lot about them but presumably i've never seen one if no. i'm honest with you um it doesn't mean to say that they they don't exist as as lamps but as i said i, I don't i haven't knowingly mm. seen an example used of that and and so yeah i just don't know. but but i mean in, in the in the book they do reference the the ethno-archaeology showing that it was used in Gotland, which is where the Mastermere find was, um, in Sweden, Norway, and as you said, I think into Russia as well. Mm. Um, but again, it's one or two examples rather than, you know, every rural household. And so, and we know that in 1936, some of these areas of Scandinavia still were much like the, the, um, the, the late 19th century, really. They hadn't advanced hugely until, or significantly really, until sort of a bit, bit later on because mm. of the remoteness in mean, the, the depths of winter, they would be isolated. And so, you know, they would keep to the, stick to the old ways that they knew and were simple, simpler times to be able to, to live and maintain yourself. So, mm. pardon me. <laughs> Sign of enjoying the food. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it really is. Did you have a favourite? If you've you've obviously tried all of them now, I'm kind of all three. <laughs> it's it's a a very sort of standard answer, but the, I mean, I've never had leeks. I've never had any of the the food prepared like this before. I mean, I've I've had a lot of sausages, as you can tell by my waistline, but. Um, never want as fresh as that the, the leeks i've never thought about actually putting them into the embers to cook and there's and as i said never had a, a salt dough lamb and there's just something different about each dish that they are each they're all fantastic in their in their own ways so yeah and as i say they all seem at least um from mm. my opinion they all seem viable that the grill could have been used for that rather than lighting if definitely. not more likely definitely i mean it's it's one of the the grillers is one of those items that you could have it hung on a, a tripod, you know, like the the Usaberg tripod. You could fix it up on a, a stick over a uh, over a, a campfire, or if you're in your hall and or your homestead and you're cooking, you could have it hung up over that. So, and the great thing is that if you are cooking, as we found with the the sausage when you were cooking earlier, flipped it over. Fat goes down, feeds into the fire. So it does. 
It's, it's a nice flame grilled sausage. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so one, I mean, one other interesting thing about the sausages, mm. um, I think most opinion is that they would have most food would be boiled, mm. um, and sausages in particular would be boiled. Oh right. But the texture is very different and a little bit chewy. Yeah. So I'm a fan of as you would have seen when you arrived, mm. I pre-boiled the sausage, yeah. which cooks it through, and then you chuck it on the grill so you don't end up with a black sausage that's pink in the middle. Yeah. Um, and actually, that's like a historical technique that's moved into my modern cooking. Oh, I'm doing really? a barbecue at home, yeah. I boil the sausages first. Ah. And they're pre-cooked, straight on the grill. Fantastic. Get a bit of colour. Yeah. There's no checking if they're done in the middle. Oh, again, I mean, it's a bit like, you know, if you're doing a barbecue, chuck the chicken into the oven first. So. It's the same thing, really. Yeah. yeah. Um, and obviously, you do lose a bit of the juices and stuff will come mm. in while you're cooking them, but then you've got... The, the water itself can be used for stock so potentially yeah. they'd boil a sausage yeah. and then use it to cook split peas or, or something like yeah. that yeah well I mean, again it's one of the just putting that into context the modern recipes you've got mm. your ham and pea soups which you know comes from the same thing you boil the ham in the water add the peas there's your so yeah. there's a lot more to it than that but I'm a, in simple terms <laughs> no I'm just really bad at <laughs> elaborate recipes um, but yeah I know it makes it makes perfect sense and I mean, that was absolutely delicious. I mean, I've, again, never boiled sausage before, just normally chuck them into the oven or onto the grill or onto the barbecue. So, you know, it was a nice change and a very delicious change. And then with the leeks as well, there's the other option is to do it with other veg. You can do it mm. with apples, turnips, anything like that, uh, even onions. If you, mm. if you put an onion in the fire and cut it down the middle, yeah, you can eat it as it is. Like, it doesn't need anything else. Yeah. It's almost sweet from the sort of smokiness that comes through. No, no, I'm trying when I can get the barbecue out again. I was envisioning next time you're in the, the smith and you just kind of... Actually, I do occasionally cook on the forge, yeah. yeah so... Knock up some lunch in the forge, there's yeah. a leg of lamb in there whilst <laughs> knocking up a grill. Don't, I think the most elaborate I've done in the, in the forge was a haunch of venison. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it took a bit longer than my lunch break, so I didn't go down too well, but... No, I, I'm definitely going to be, definitely going to be trying some of these. Brilliant. Well, I've got um, yeah, a few questions if yes, you might that are just kind of ones I'm asking everybody. Which at the minute. plate with a piece of piece of the lamb. Yeah. So we can go back if you want to the first question, mm. which was unlimited budget, which you've already said not really into the idea. But mm. let's say you were, is there a project you'd want to work on? Maybe the master find itself. In in India, they've got the Delhi pillar, and the Delhi pillar is it's a column. I think about sort of two meters above ground, and it doesn't rust. And it's it's again, it's one of these ones where people say they didn't have the technology back then to be able to create yeah. this item. You know, almost no impurities in it. So I'd like to give that one a give that one, and that would need a lot of money. Um, but otherwise, it's it is it would probably be the um, the campaign cooking mechanisms employed by people like Henry VIII, yeah. where they were creating these huge spit roasts out of oxen and you know, whatever they had going. Sure. Just because of the sheer size of it, uh, the over the top lavishness and the 
again, just the fact that it's not been done on the scale that it was. You know, you can yeah. see them heavily scaled back to so that you can cook a, a pig or a, a lamb or something like that, but never to, or very rarely, to the, the full size. And so that one would need a very hefty budget. Big budget. Very big budget. <laughs> But also, actually, if you use the if you use iron as opposed to modern mild steel, yeah, then that would be another another addition to the budget, but also another challenge because the material is completely different. So mild steel, you can pick up a length of it in England, Australia, Russia, China, America, and it's exactly the same. It's again, it's got a recipe that all yeah. of the steel mills can stick to, and so it's just a very simple it's amazing that it's that consistent mm. you'd expect some variation and that there are there are subtle variations but yeah. I mean, it's within a batch uh, of so over ten thousand bars or however many mm. a steel mill produces there will be slight different consistent inconsistency between those ten thousand and the next ten thousand yeah whereas with the iron the way that they would have created it you could have an inconsistency over you know 30 centimeters or a foot you know one end of a bar will be completely different to the other it had the iron actually had a grain structure like wood which would mean that it would be it you could work it you could control it but at the end of the day if it wanted to split open it was going to split open and you know produces all of these other challenges to go along with it and so being able to recreate the artifact with the original material that's half of the the fun of it and originally the atc had asked me to make or recreate the master mere fight the entire yeah 120 125 pieces which as far as i'm aware has only been done once by a, a group of american blacksmiths and so it's never been done by one person and again there was a long conversation about the materials to we use mild steel to we use iron do we smelt our own iron and make it and eventually because it was a heavily budgeted um a heavily budgeted commission we had to use mild steel just to make it cost efficient but again you know that's one person's work and yeah. so that would be quite would be a good one we want to do i've got a friend up in cumbria mm. runs a place called moorforge viking settlement mm. Um, and he's also a blacksmith. And I'm fairly certain he said recently that it's on his to-do list sort of next year is to mm. just work his way slowly through and recreate the whole collection. Mm. Well, that good to see. Yeah, yeah. Um, so another question for you, back mm. to the food again, is yep. whether you think you could have survived on a Viking Age diet? I did, for three months. You did? I did. You didn't know that one, did I you? I didn't know that one. No. Um... <laughs> So every year I, I take part in an event called the Chalk Valley History Festival, which is where I did the meteorite beats. Yeah. And a few years ago, uh, we were doing, myself and the, with the Ancient Technology Centre, we were doing a Saxon encampment. And so I, for three months prior to that, I lived on a, a, a Viking slash Saxon diet because a lot of the time, in films and TV, you see Vikings and Saxons of a very specific, yeah. stereotypical 
image, you know, rippling six packs and everything else to go with it. Mm. And the the job I had on at the time was actually the Mastermade Tool Chest, right. which was the three months prior to the um, to this to the he- uh, to the festival. Yeah, and so I knew I would be doing blacksmithing the same way that they had been doing it when the um, back in the, the Viking era. Mm. I wasn't going to be using power tools. Wasn't going to be using modern equipment. So I thought I'd be doing the same activities. If I was eating the same diet, I could then go to the festival saying, this is the physique, this is the how they would have looked, none of this rippling six-pack nonsense. Yes. Or any of that. Um, That's quite a level of dedication. Mm, it was, yeah, only it was, it was, the food was wonderful. It's, yeah. Um, well, I know it's, adamant from the start it was just going to end up becoming very monotonous and uh and just quite plain and boring but the more i looked into it the more i found so for instance you know porridge for breakfast and then you know it suddenly it was you know berries were coming out on the in the, the hedgerows and so i was picking them chucking them in with it uh some nuts as well a little bit of honey lunch lunch was normally you know some sort of um some sort of bread with you know, soft cheese that I was attempting to make in, at home, and again, you know, a bit of boiled ham that you know, slice of that with me, and some some other fruit again from the hedgerows, and then yeah. you know, a decent decent dinner. The only thing that I really struggled with was the lack of caffeine. Well, that'll lead into the the last question of the mm. lunch, which was tied in with that is. If you had to live in the Viking age, mm-hmm. what food would you miss Coffee. the most? There you go. <laughs> I thought that might be your answer. Instant. So you need your caffeine here. Caffeine, not instant. Um, for proper coffee. Yeah. Um, but it, I mean, it was... Um, the reason I like coffee is the taste. I don't drink it for energy or anything like that. And what I found with, when I was doing this diet was that... Because I cut out the the coffee, uh, well, caffeine entirely, coffee yeah. tea, I cut out processed sugars, uh, in fact, all sugar except for honey, uh, and the natural sugars from fruits. What I was finding was that I would wake up, you know, six o'clock in the morning, and as soon as I woke up, I was up and going. There was no sluggishness at the beginning. And I would just keep going at an energy level yeah. all day long. And then I'd finish work, get in my truck to go home, and my body would just go, oh, you stopped. And stop. And and so, yeah, I you know, occasionally had to have a quick snooze in my truck to be able to, to get home because yeah. I mean, I'm assuming that my body was processing energy very differently far more efficiently sure and so yeah it, it was it, it was an interesting uh an interesting experiment i mean one i'm not averse to doing it again because i said you know the food was very enjoyable and now you know we've got your fantastic cookbooks we've got meals like this that i can chuck in with it yeah um and and so you know I'll probably end up doing it again but yeah coffee was the 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 one thing i mean so i I think a lot of it was also because at the time I was pompous enough that I hand ground my coffee rather than just getting instant or 
or pre-grind them. So there was yeah. that entire uh, that entire process. You're going to say like a morning ritual. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Had, had, had just, you know, gone. And so yeah. it's a bit like when you see a, an ex-smoker, he still sits there with the biro stuck between their fingers. It was it was that same sort of thing. I was just, yeah. would struggle a bit with the the lack of, well, as you said, lack of ritual mm. more than more than having a, a caffeine crash itself. So. Mm. So thank you so much for coming on. No, you're more than I won't keep you for any longer. I know you're a busy man. <laughs> so um, do you want to just let people know where they can find you online? Yes, I am on Instagram as Village Blacksmith. I need to just sort of remind myself of these things <laughs> occasionally. Yeah, so Village Blacksmith on Instagram. And then on Facebook, it's just Ian Thackeray Blacksmith. And my website is villagesmith.co.uk. Brilliant. I'll pop a link in the description as well. Make thank sure everyone can find the, the right stuff. So, yeah, thank you again. No, you're more than welcome. And thank you very much indeed for the, for the fantastic food. Uh, you're more I welcome. definitely did like it. If you enjoyed the show and want to hear more, remember to like and subscribe and give the show a rating. You can also help keep the show going by becoming a Patreon where you'll get early access to all episodes. Or check out my range of merch on my store. Links are in the episode description. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.